Badges to business. Uh, we're going to get it going here in just a second. We have a really cool guest coming on tonight who's going to talk about franchise, small business from the bottom to the top, making it success, future moves, what to do when you start a small business, etc. It's going to be a really good time. So for those of you guys that don't know, let me do the sales pitch. The badges of business kind of speaks on my own journey, but it has nothing to do with all of our guests. So we bring on anyone who is a successful, and we have some people lined up that aren't so successful, but a successful small business owner to talk about their lessons learned, journey, their their lifestyle, their their life <coughs> mission, and what they can offer as far as knowledge. So, James, once you start going, we want to hear um, about how you got to where you were, the journey, the uptick, lessons you've learned, stuff maybe you uh, would have done differently, stuff that you would have changed along the way. James owns a franchise in Leesburg, Virginia. I'll let him go over that. He's owned a previous franchise before, or two locations, and he owns this one. And we'll see what he's got going on for the future, and we'll get it going. So, my good friend, one of my neighbors, longtime Richside Canine supporter, James Marsh, the floor is yours. Tell us who you are, what you do. I would say my sophomore year in high school started getting on the automotive automotive stuff. Uh, junior and senior year took uh, half day auto mechanics. And I guess my summer of my junior to senior year, I started at Midas and Fairfax, uh, just putting away stock, um, but knew I had other aspirations. My, uh, my boss at the time, super cool guy, really looked up to him, um, always, you know, telling me I should strive to do more. So he kind of, you know, kind of threw, threw a few opportunities at me. So I wasn't even a senior in high school yet, and I was working on customers' cars all through the summer. Nice. Um, so I, I, I knew, like I said, from an, from an early age, I wanted to be around automotive, and I'm still a gearhead. I mean, you and I talk cars, trucks, Jeeps, you name it all the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's still a passion. So um, kind of to go along with that, I got, uh, I got a 69 Camaro, which was always my dream car. Uh, shortly after I started at Midas and I still have it to this day. So kind of two things that have gone hand in hand was business and, uh, and my Camaro. So, um, and I think, you know, Angie touched on it a little bit when she was uh, on with you last week that it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a labor of love, full-time job. And I'm sure you, uh, you get this a lot now, but, uh, Oh, you're your own boss. You can set your own hours. You can do whatever you want, you know, yes, and sir. you've been, You've been doing it a couple of years, so I, I'm sure that that resonates oh so well with you. Yeah, for sure. So that's awesome, man. So you you really are, and I cut out a little bit there. I was getting some phone calls that were popping in, so you were talking, but it was spacing me out. So I missed just a couple seconds here and there. I apologize for that. But it, it sounded like you were saying you basically started at Midas and Fairfax in high school. Um, you were taking auto shop at high school. What, what high school did you go to? Uh, Chantilly High School. Oh, nice, nice, nice. So you had auto shop, you got a job in an auto mechanics place. And it sounded like one of the big things that touched your life back then was the influence of your boss. Is, is that true? Yeah, young guy, kind of the same pattern as me. Um, little different family history, but he uh, he was very much into, um, you know, you know tinkering with things. He was mechanically inclined. And I really looked up to him because he had gone through some hardships. He lost his parents when he was young. And so he, it was kind of the same time in my life when I was going through some stuff. So it was, 
you know, I wouldn't say he was like a father figure, more of a big brother figure, but, you know, just very motivational, uh, very positive. He's one of those guys that wake up, he'd never have a bad day. You know, every day was yep. going to be a good day. So, yep. That's super cool. Now, let me ask you a quick business question. The influence that he had on you and the way that he kind of molded and directed you, do you see yourself trying to do the same thing with your employees? Oh, without question. Yeah, without question. It's kind of what happened is when he left the Fairfax store, I got promoted to his position and he came out to the Leesburg store and reopened it because it was closed for a while. And when he stepped away, I was presented with an opportunity to, uh, I guess, pick things up at that that facility. And if we could turn things around, my franchisee at the time offered Angie and I the position to purchase it. And and all along, I've always had a technician that was a friend or uh, a colleague, so to speak, that I always try to, you know, I, I pick the things out in them that that I, you know, used to see in myself and still do. So, yeah, I try to I guess spreading the wealth is not really the correct term, but but I try to be very inspirational to them. And you know, if they're if I see potential that I feel like you know they they haven't tapped upon, you know, I'll try to position myself to to make them think outside the box to 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 start start the conversation themselves. Man, that's awesome. That that's just that's what it's all about. Um, so obviously, you didn't get to where you were overnight, right? So for those that don't know, your your Midas location is pretty large. Um, is is that an average size? All those bays, or is yours considered like a pretty large shop? Uh, we have a ten bay facility, so we are the the second biggest Midas that I've ever been into. And I've been with the facility. You know, I've been with Midas, like I said, since eighty seven. And I, and you know, in your travels, you know, if you go, we've been to California, Nevada, Utah, places like that. You're always you know looking at them. And and ours is a little different. Ours is a uh, what used to be was a traditional '80s build, so it's an inline ten bay facility. A lot of them now are more of like back to back, so it's they're not drive through bays, but half the building is four bays, the other half is four bays. But yeah, as far as capacity, we we have the second biggest one that I've ever been around. Yeah, so I've traveled a lot um, in, in, in my life, and I can't say that you know I, I go to cities and look for Midas's, but being a car guy myself, I'm always like, anytime I see a shop, I kind of look at the doors to see what's on a lift. You know what I mean? You know, you just kind of browse quick and see if anything cool is in there. And um, I've never seen one as big as your shop. So any, anyway, what's it like? Um, let's go all the way back when you first started your business, when you, when you took over from being, it sounds like a shop runner or some kind of runner to get uh, parts. And then you got promoted up to maybe technician or something like that. And then at some point you started running the Leesburg store before you actually owned it. Is that correct? Yeah. So kind of came to a fork in the road in my life. I was, um, I was 27 and I felt like I was kind of stagnating and I was a volunteer firefighter for seven or eight years leading up to this. And, and at that time, you know, I was, uh, I had a fiance who is obviously Angie now, my wife now, and I wouldn't know we, that. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was just, I felt like I was at a dead end. I'd been managing the store in Fairfax for about four years, five years. And I just, I really had the career itch to be a career firefighter, which was, a, you know, a passion or stay with this. And I, and I just sat down with my franchisee and I said, look, you know, 
operating at the same salary level here. There's no room for growth. I, I've, you know, I've peaked out where I'm at, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and look for a different opportunity. And before I even got up from the desk, you know, he's like, hold it. I can't, I can't let you leave the organization. Here's what I will do for you. So it was, uh, I remember the day real well. It was December 17th, 1997. He sent wow. me out to, out to Leesburg and said, if you go to this store and you can turn it around and get your finances right, um, I will sell you the store when you're ready. So we fast forward, you know, five years. Now we've got uh, uh, our son, Cole, and we've, um, we've kind of outgrown the home we're in. And we, our finances were right, so to speak. So we took the opportunity. So uh, June 28th of 2003 was the first day that we actually owned the facility. So five years, give or take, and uh, never looked back. So wow. that's super cool, man. Um, you know, I don't know you super well, but I know you're pretty good. And I'll say that you, you're a very humble person. Um, you, you normally dress like a mechanic, you know what I mean? Um, wearing just some, some work clothes. You, you never pretend to be somebody you're not, but you always downplay, I think, your, your level of success. Short of the fact that I'm a gearhead, so I can also spot vehicles that, to the average person, may look like a big old truck. To somebody that understands vehicles, I can say there's a lot of money invested in that truck. Um, so when I first saw your truck, I said, ah, I need to, to adjust my prices for dog training when someone's pulling up here with a Duramax that's completely tricked out. Yeah, we need to adjust this. But um, but I really like and I really look up to the way you you, you carry yourself. Um, going back, I kind of touched on it a little bit with Angie. You know, me and you talked to my driveway one night almost two years ago now. It was a while ago. And I remember that – I don't remember the exact words, but basically you, you had said – at some point, you're going to have to stop being a cop. You said, this is this is not sustainable. You're going to have to step away. It, it won't be much longer. You're too busy. Um, it was kind of one of these cool conversations. I remember it was pretty cold. We wound up talking. It was going to be a five-minute chat. We talked for well over an hour. And to me, that meant a lot because I know you're a busy guy just like I am. I know you have kids and in a house, a lot going on. You'd probably been working all day. And you actually gave me an hour or more of your time and I'll never forget, you said, you basically told me I would step away. And I think I said, that's not going to happen. I like being a cop. There's, there's just no way. And you said, give it a little bit of time. And sure as shit, probably six months after that, seven, eight months, whatever it was, after that conversation, I resigned and stepped away. Um, so, but but my, my point to that is that it really showed me that in small business, you really don't know what the hell you're doing until you get right into it, right? You knew how to be a mechanic. But you had no idea how to run a shop. You know what I mean? I know how to train dogs, but even tonight, I was trying to find my Virginia taxpayer ID number. I have no idea where to find this number at. <laughs> I have no clue. Um, and it's little things like that where you're like, there, there's no book for this stuff, man. Like, it is confusing behind the scenes at times. So when you have someone that is a successful, and and, and that and that that word success is a very regulated word, but... When you have someone that's been in small business for a long time, to me, when I have clients like that, I, I try to just listen and just be quiet and let them talk as much as possible. And, man, it's, it's one of those things where I really appreciate your time back then. I appreciate your time now. I appreciate all the vehicles I bring to you that you work on, and you just you just make it happen. You get them in, and you get the vehicles back out. But 
to me, that means a lot. Did you have anybody else besides your shop owner as you came up in small business that, that, that maybe planted a seed in you or, or said something that you were, that you can think back onto at, at, at this time? Um, well, I will take it way back and this is by no means a dig. Um, it's, it's just, it kind of, I'm like you, if someone tells me I can't do something, it, it ignites the fire. So back in high school, when I told my mom, I wanted to be an auto mechanics, she kind of laughed and she said, you know, at the time it wasn't meant to be derogatory. She was trying to motivate me to better myself. But she said, being an auto mechanic will never take you anywhere in life. You'll never make anything out of it. And so it was at that time where I took a look around and, you know, you talk about the dirty fingernails, the cool vehicles, this, that, and the other. I didn't care what people thought at the time. They can stereotype me. It's not a big deal. I, I am not out to please the next person. I have what I have because I want it and I work hard for it. So yeah. I think the motivational point in that was that I truly had a desire to do it and it was an interest. And then it was, I don't know if that was her way of challenging me or she truly didn't think I would do anything. So I remember, you know, when I got that opportunity to purchase that store in Leesburg, I remember it vividly that Angie, my mom, everybody sprung up there about two weeks after we bought the store with this big cake you know, celebrating it. But I didn't really have, you know, to circle back, I didn't really have anybody. The franchisee that I used to work for, he'd sit down and go over P&Ls with me. Um, you know, profit and loss statements, we would look at balance sheets, we'd look at things, but he didn't really educate me. He would highlight things that we did, but I've always been a numbers guy. So I think out of all of the stores he used to own, he had four, I was always the most well-rounded when it came to it only because I was a numbers guy and I'd keep my eye on the inventory, the cost of goods, the salaries, everything that went into making him money. And so for that, he kind of educated me a little bit in his own roundabout way and just said, you know, if you keep your eye on these categories, you know, this business can be very profitable and, you know, the, the opportunities that it affords you are exponential. Now, having said that, wow. there's, there's been a lot of learn on the job, not afraid to say I didn't go to college, didn't study economics, finance, anything like that. So everything I've learned has been hunker down and make it work. I had no option. I mean, kind of like you when we talked in your driveway that night, something I don't think you know, but the very first time I met you, Angie said, you know, we wanted to get our Mal um, trained and we came up and met you. And in your kitchen at that island, you literally dominated conversation for like an hour and a half. And, and I walked away and I told him we got in the truck. I'm like, I don't like him. And she starts laughing. She's like, you don't like him. I said, he's arrogant. And she goes, oh, kind of reminds me of somebody else in the vehicle. <laughs> but the thing, the thing I took away from that. Take it back. Take it back. <laughs> the thing I took away from that is you were so knowledgeable of your product, your skill, what you wanted to do, what you what 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 you thought it was going to take to succeed, you believed in yourself. You had an end goal in sight, and so it was driving away from your house that night. The, the next time we talked in your driveway, you speak of. I knew it was a matter of time because you're so driven, and I've never met anybody with work ethic like you. And I've met a lot of people, you know, in this industry, but I just I just flash back, and I'm like, anything this guy wants to do, he's going to succeed, you know. 
um, retired Marine, retired law enforcement, but you just always had to be in, in the go, you know, you just, you always had to make things work. And, and I knew once you, you know, once you set down your badge, you know, that it was, nothing was going to stop you. And, you know, now look at you wheeling and dealing with all these franchises and, and that success, you're the product of the success because of what you put in it, the 20, 22 hour days, you know, the hard work and, you know, to quote you the, the grind, but I, I would tell anybody out there that's got a, a passion or desire if you can't, you know, eat, sleep and think about it and see yourself doing it, then don't step off the ledge. But if it's something you truly want to do, there's lots of potential out there for people and nothing should hold you back. You know, don't let anybody tell you, you can't do it. Man, James, I'm supposed to be interviewing you and you're sitting here and motivating me. Damn. <laughs> um, thank you for those kind of words, man. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I, I think a lot of times for guys, I always try to tell people, um, when I when I was a cop and I would talk to younger cops, I would say, listen, there's a fine line between, you know, confidence and cockiness. And you got to be really careful when you present yourself because you can actually be very confident but come across cocky. And you got to kind of watch how you do it. It's a it's a fine dance. When it comes to talking about dogs and Malawas, sometimes it, it would kind of be like you discussing a, a, a diesel custom motor. And I'm trying to talk to you about something silly. You're like, stop. Let me tell you how it's going to go. Um, but I appreciate that, man. One of one of my other uh, kind of really older clients, uh, Brent, who's also a small business owner and also in the animal trade, he sells snakes. And is I had no idea how lucrative that business was, but it's very lucrative business. But he said agreed. He said he thought the same thing. Basically, as you were talking about me, he said he thought the same thing. But lo and behold, we're still friends three years <laughs> later. So it's kind of cool. Um, I like that. Mark Gregg said, agreed, Aaron is one that looks beyond the end of his nose. Um, I don't know if that's a dig on me or not. I don't even know what that means, but hopefully that's a compliment. So, well, and, and I also think, you know, what you bring to the table is you, you, you're the type of person that doesn't look down on anybody for, for what they're into or what they're doing. You know, the very first time I trained with you, I'm like, oh, this is going to be lovely. And I'm out there in the ring with, you know, 30 or 40 other people. And you just busted my ass. You grilled me from from start to finish. And I'm like, okay, you wait till he comes to the shop. Yes, <laughs> I'm sir. gonna lay him, lay him out. But but it was in a respectful, you know, teaching way, and there's never anything derogatory, you know, and, and that's yeah. you know, that's kind of true leadership. And that's you know, as you expand your business, you know, something that I kind of people ask me is I think of it like a pyramid and I'm on top, not because I'm better than anybody, but because I'm signing the checks and I'm only, my business is only as good as the people I surround myself with. And so I look at some of your trainers and some of the people that, that I've met and I think, you know, how does he keep finding these people? Because, you know, there's not many people out there that want to work five days a week, much less six or seven and, and want to pull in a full day's work. And, you know, some of the things you see being a business owner is just, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling, you know, and you wonder, you know, how these people function day in and day out in life in general, you know, once they're out of school, the service, wherever, but it, it's just, it's truly amazing. Whew. Yeah. It's, um, man, you're hitting on a lot of stuff. It's, uh, I, um, I, I'm in the process of making a couple small changes with the business, some stuff that, uh, we had some stuff that went down a couple of weeks ago and basically it was kind of an eye opener for me, nothing bad, but it, it did show me that 
I was I was running this business like a dog trainer and not like a business owner for a while. And it hadn't bit me yet and it hasn't bitten me yet, but it, it, it allowed for some confusion on a, a couple of what should have been minor issues. And through the confusion, it really made me feel like a piece of shit because there shouldn't have been any confusion. But because I was running it like a dog trainer and not like a business owner, I allowed for some gray area to creep in, if that makes any sense. So I, I, I've been trying to fix that. Um, it's, it's been keeping me up at night. I've literally been losing sleep over it because I can't wrap my head around some of the things. So through that, I'm making some new policy. And I was talking to one of the guys this afternoon and he said, hey, you're well aware that you're going to actually decrease the amount of money you're making potentially dramatically by setting in these policies. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I can think very rapidly in numbers, right? I can see things very, very quickly. Um, I said, no, I'm well aware of that. But in the short term, that's the case. Yes. But in the long term, on the much bigger vision, on the the five-year, the 10-year plan, it'll be much more consistent. It'll be much more even-keeled. Everybody will be on the same playing field. It'll make a lot more sense. Um, but I reminded him it, it wasn't about me or about him or about this situation. It's, it's about the brand and the business um, being successful and having clarity with everybody involved. I'm, I'm, I'm very big. I always go back to the Marine Corps, um, my state. You know, everybody has to know commander's intent, right? Whether they're cleaning dog shit, whether they're traveling with dogs, whether they're training dogs, whether they're doing sales, everybody in the business, and, I, and my guess is that your shop is probably the same. Everybody in Richside Canine has to know commander's intent, right? What's my vision? And if they don't know my vision, that's a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very big on trying to get information down so that everybody understands it and then we can all be up here together. Through that, I've got to be very careful because at times um, – the, the rank structure can disappear pretty quick, right? And it, and it just goes from kind of we're all in it together. And because we're so new and everybody, everybody right now is just working hard. Like, it's incredible the amount of work and the amount of miles being put on these vehicles and dogs. It's insane. So I think because everybody's grinding and I grind, we just kind of throw rank structure and stuff out the window because we're all in it so deep right now. And that caused a little confusion. So, so how, here- do, how do you... So for those that don't know, I don't know the exact number of employees you, you have now. I don't know how many you've had throughout the years. Probably a tremendous amount have, have come and gone. And my guess is you have something to stick around forever. But how do you handle that in your shop? Because you're in it too. So for those that don't know, you wouldn't even know James is the owner if you go into his shop unless he speaks. And then from so, – so I'm big on watching people, right? I, I spent 15 years at Midnight Cop, so I'm very quick to analyze people. Um, I try to always pick out the problem. I try to pick out who's in charge. And, 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 you know, depending on the call you go to, you need to get these skill set very, very quickly. So when I'm in your shop, you act like just a mechanic. You really do, right? However, the moment you pick up a piece of paper or one of your folders with some paper in it or you talk or you do something, everybody else is quiet and they listen to what you're saying very, very quickly. I've never heard somebody question you, at least in my presence in the shop. I've never heard somebody, and, and my guess is it happens, but it probably doesn't happen on the, the customer area, but everybody treats you with respect big time. However, you're still in the back. Like I've watched you work on cars while you have a lot of mechanics that work for you. So being that, that, that you're in it, how do you handle 
going from like boss to, hey, I'm changing the oil or rotating tires with one of the guys? So you hit on a lot of really good things. And <clears throat> I think first and foremost, you're smart enough to know that every day you don't learn something is kind of a missed opportunity. Yes, sir. Your, your, your success right now with the way your businesses are flourishing is a double-edged sword. And the problem is, is everybody, everybody's happy when it's successful and there's dogs coming and going and you're on the roadway. The problem is, and Angie told me this years ago, and it, it took me years to digest this and, and figure out where she was coming from as, quote unquote, an outsider looking in. You can't be the boss and be their friend. It's very unfortunate, but in close quarters like we all are, we spend 40 hours a week or more together. You got trainers coming and going, you know, they're, they're, they're hanging out at the Ridgeside Hotel, you know, you're in vehicles picking up dogs together. You have to separate it. And, and I, this, is, this is not coming from me. This is coming from Angie and, and years and years and years of trying to do this. But you can't be the boss and the friend. So at the end of the day, everybody's got to respect who you are. Who is Aaron? Aaron is the boss. What Aaron says goes. If Aaron says, get my ass on the road, I'm on the road. Don't ask where I'm going. Just get there. But but because you are like me, you're so hands-on, it's hard to relinquish control. And that's where you and I are so – our lives are so parallel is you, you kind of feel like if you don't have a hand in it, it's not going to get done right. So you got to give up control. So for you, I would just say that enjoy things while they're going – you're starting to lay the groundwork. Okay, I got a new handbook coming out or a policy manual or these two trainers can't work together or this, that, or the other. You've got to establish those boundaries. And most importantly, at the end of the day, they got to realize if there's no Aaron Taylor, there is no Ridgeside Carolinas, Ridgeside St. Louis, Ridgeside California, wherever you're going to be. If there's no Aaron Taylor, there's no, there's no future for them. They're back to what they were doing before. And I got to believe that they're on a pretty good ride right now, or they wouldn't be lining up like you're just bang, 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 bang. Now, having said that, the money may not always be there, but the opportunity always will be. You're presenting these people with opportunity and what they do with the opportunity, completely up to them, completely. That's a great so, way. I've never heard somebody say it with those words, and I, I actually really like that. The money may not always be there, but the opportunity will. That's incredible. Um, that's incredible. So that's a big fear of mine. And that's that, you know, we have, we have two locations that, that are a little bit slower just based on where they are and the markets they're in and they're tough markets. And then we have basically the East coast, which is, I mean, it's just insane. Right. And I, I worry about it twofold. I worry about it. One. Yeah. There's money legitimately rolling right now. And everybody's doing well. But in the dog business, kind of like the car business, you can only make good money if you're training a lot of dogs. So, like, the dogs have to continue, right? Kind of like the cars. If you're a mechanic and you're a specialty mechanic, I don't know what they get paid, but I know a lot of tradecraft make way more than people assume they get paid at, at, at times. You can only make a lot of money working on cars if you're working on a lot of cars. You see what I mean? Sure. So, it's like I always worry about it because – even good money 
can look like not so good money if you were used to making way up here. But now you have to drop down here because of the economy. But this is still way more than any, anywhere else. That that bothers me and that that scares me. You know what I mean? A lot. Um, will will people stay loyal when when the times get harder or when a recession hits or or things like this? And time will always tell. Um, time will always tell. But what do you do? What do you do as far as? I mean, how many how how many mechanics on a like when you're in the shop on a normal day at peak time? How how, how many mechanics are in there? So theoretically, our shop is best staffed when we have three service writers. I would be one of those, three technicians, and three general service technicians. So the general service technicians are going to do oil changes, tire rotations, belts. Kind of, you know, some people say entry-level mechanic, kind of an abrasive term, you know, entry-level technician. It's not so much that. It's just that the, the number works for us, three, three, and three. So essentially, we've got somebody working, you know, I'm service writing for one of the technicians, I'm service writing for one of the general service technicians, but that seems to be a good a good mix for where we are. And like I said, it's a 10-bay store. We're somewhat recession-proof, if you will. Um, you, you know the money that's in Loudoun County. It's very affluent. I mean, somebody could come in with a three- or four-year-old BMW, need seven or $800 worth of work, and they'll say, now I'm going to go get a new one. And two weeks later, they'll roll up for a state inspection and a brand new seventy-five or $80,000 car. There's also those, those clientele that'll say, you know, this car's 25 years old. If I put a couple grand in it, it'll keep going for another year or two years. And then there's A to B customers. You know, they just need something that's going to get them from point A to point B every day. So I think what makes our store and staffing successful is it's kind of the me factor. And I don't mean that from an arrogant standpoint, but it's I give the customer I treat you the same way I want to be treated every day. You are going to get 100% honesty. Midas, our store is not the cheapest place in Leesburg, without question. It's a franchise. The franchise is getting some of their royalty money. But I guarantee you, you will walk in that store. You will be treated with respect. You will be treated like you want to be treated. You might not like what we have to say, but we didn't break the car. You know, right. my, my daughter used to say, you know, come broken, leave fixed. That was her acronym or her slogan for our store. But I will promise you, you will get honesty and integrity out of our store every day of the week. It's just the, the I have two job requirements for my employees when I hire them. And I tell them this because I'm in on every interview. The first thing is when you're supposed to be at work, be at work. If we open at 715 or excuse me, 730, be there at 715 and ready to work. Five o'clock, if you're supposed to go off at five, go home. There's life after Midas. If you want to stay till we close and keep making money and working, that's fine. So be it. The second one, and the most important factor that I've ever told anybody in every interview, I tell people this, honesty and integrity. Do not rip off my customers. There are, there are times when mistakes are made. You break something. You, you mismeasure something, something like that. We can move past that because we're going to own it to the customer. But do not rip off my customers. That is the lifeblood of what keeps my power on, my groceries coming in the house. It's what, it's what keeps that store what it is. It supports our family. We don't get rich off Midas, but I can pay the bills. We can have decent vehicles, and I know I've got a roof over my head. But, yeah. you know, when you lose those two things, you, you've kind of lost the bubble. You know, you got somebody that doesn't want to come to work, or you got somebody that's uh, dishonest in, in this business – 
it's a tough enough business to be in because you've got auto repair on every corner. And, you know, there's so many, so many shops out there trying to hit that home run. First time customer, oh, you need $2,000 worth of work. And unfortunately, there's a lot of customers out there that just are trustworthy and they think, oh, that may be legit. But, you know, that's, that's just not us. You know, somebody comes in, I tell them, you know, if, if, if you're not liking what I have to say, go ahead and get a second and a third estimate, bring it back, let's sit down and talk. But again, you know, honesty, integrity, cost, and just, you know, it's, it's who we are. Yeah, that's incredible. So you may not remember because you do a tremendous amount of vehicles, but I brought you an old Jeep, uh, one of my stepson's cars that needed a tremendous amount of work. I don't even know how I got I, I drove it there. I don't know how it made it because I didn't drive it home. I towed it home. And um, I was ready to just give you the credit card. That's the truth. I mean, I brought it there to get fixed. I knew it was going to cost a couple thousand dollars. And um I think one of your right-hand guys, Kobe, 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 Kobe what is that? Yep. Kobe. Kobe. He went over it, and he called me afterwards, and, and he basically said, listen, you're the customer, right? But this is what I'm going to tell you. Pay the $150 tow bill. He said, I do not advise you driving this thing home, something to that effect. And he told me why, and he was right. He said, pay the tow bill, donate the car. I wouldn't put a penny in this car. Um, if you want us to fix it, it's going to be like $5,700. And, you know, for old Jeep Liberty with 180,000 miles on it that had legitimate issues. And that was just like to kind of Band-Aid things. But then there was no telling what else would go wrong with it after we dropped almost 6K into it. And at the time, you know, I, I was still a midnight cop. Man, I didn't – that that would have hurt. Uh, that that would have hurt. I would have had to put it on credit card. It, it would have been a problem. And, um, I mean, what, what mechanic shop would do that? You know what I mean? Like I was ready to pay the money and just say do whatever you got to do to make it pass inspection. And he said, yeah, we can do it. It'll cost six grand. And I think his exact words were like, but you'll be back in here a month later with another issue, another issue, another issue. And at some point, this motor, which was in horrible condition, is going to just blow. Um, so he said, I wouldn't do anything. I think I had called you or text you, maybe just to confirm that with, with you. And, and what I really liked about it was that you basically said, hey, whatever my guys say is what it is. Um, I said, well, shit. All right, I'm gonna save it six grand. I think I paid like $120 to have it towed back. I, I could have probably driven it, but he was like, I wouldn't drive that shit. Like the drive, it was like all kinds of issues with the actual mechanics of it. Um, and it was rush rush hour on seven. He was like, You're you're really taking a risk here. So I, instead of paying six grand, I paid 150 bucks. Um, that's pretty huge. You know what I mean? Well, it's just it, that again, it just kind of reinforces who we are. It, there's a lot of customers that. You know, like you said, if, if you just said, hey, let's check this out, I'd have gone and laid eyes on it because it's my responsibility as the business owner, as a friend, as the, you know, the shop manager, if you will, to to oversee these things. And if people ever have the shadow of a doubt, like you said, I'm in the store five days a week. I'm there. I'm off one Saturday a month most of the time, but I'm there all the time and I'm I'm accountable and I'm available. So if someone wants to talk here I am. Let's go look at it together. That's who we are. That's who my staff is. And again, I just, I can't harp on it enough. There's, I'd be guessing, but there's, there's probably 25 auto repair. The only thing there's more of in Leesburg than auto repair shops is banks. And, and I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's more, there's more banks there, but I'm going to say there's probably 25 or, or 30 repair facilities and people have choices and, yeah. and we appreciate the repeat business. 
And, you know, I, I think about how many customers come in day in and day out and how we still draw new customers. And, you know, you can't beat word of mouth. You can't beat honesty, integrity. That goes a long way. You know, people come in and just like you said, they'll come in. Oh, well, the dealership said I need $4,000 worth of work. We'll check it out. It might be 150 or $200 worth of work. I mean, I can't. T- and the, the crazy thing is they'll lay the estimate down and we're like, no, just take that out of here. I, I, we're not going to be biased by somebody else's stuff. We want to look at it ourselves. It does me no good to to be dishonest with somebody because we all know this. 99 times out of 100, you make a mistake or you do something wrong, those people are going to tell 10 people. You might be lucky if you get 10% of your customers to give you, yeah. you know, good feedback. So, but you, yeah. that's, that's a roll of the dice, you know? And that's one of the big things. I mean, you got to think, right? So you missed out on approximately $6,000 from me. However, I refer every single person that tells me anything about if they want custom work, if they want a lift kit, if they want basic mechanics. Uh, Jason Smith, one of our clients right here, so he's coming to Midas on Wednesday. I refer Midas to every single person. You know what I mean? Even even stuff you guys don't do, like people have body work or something, like, yeah, go in there and have them take a look at it first. Um, so you lost six grand, but I mean, in the last two or three years, I've probably referred 20 or 30 people there. So my guess is you made that back, you know? But so let's 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 talk about some of the hiring stuff. So you had mentioned for a small business um, that that you're in on every single interview. Would 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 you ever have someone come work at your shop that you specifically did not interview? Um, well, that's kind of a, that's kind of a tough one because, um, I, I, no, let's just, let's cut to, no, I wouldn't. They wouldn't work at my store if I didn't have some sort of sit down face to face. I want to know what I'm getting. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest judge of character, but usually, you know, having a conversation with somebody for a few minutes, you know, usually pretty perceptive as to what kind of person they are. But I feel like if they're going to represent my facility, unless it's, you know, a family member of an employee that I currently have or something to that sort that's going to vouch for them. But still, I'm going to sit them down. I'm going to give them the same spiel. Here's the hours. Do not rip off my customers. These are my two job requirements. They're pretty simple. I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. It's kind of funny. I just interviewed two people on Saturday, which is like hitting the lottery because in this industry, you know, nobody wants to work on cars anymore because it's computers this, computers that. I think the real reason people don't want to work on cars anymore is because cars have gotten so much more sophisticated. If you're not continuing education, you're not keeping up with it, you're getting left behind. So people say, oh, I used to be a technician. I mean, you know, I both know everybody's mechanic. Everybody can work on this. Everybody can work on that. At the end of the day, they might fix it and put a Band-Aid on it. But it's not going to be something you want them next to you driving down Route 7 at 60 miles an hour. So, but yeah, I, so anyway, I sat down with two, two people. We had the same conversation, interviewed them thoroughly, and, you know, good vibes from both of them. But it's a very, very tough industry right now that, you know, trying to hire somebody and keep, you know, and, and sustain good employees. So, but I think back to your question, I don't think I would have somebody working at my facility that I didn't have a hands-on approach with and conversation with. All right. Let me ask you the hard question now. How do you go about, and, and, and don't talk about any, you know, policy stuff, but how do you go about, or have you had to make a hard fire where, where you've had to relieve somebody of duty or fire somebody on the spot or something? Yes. 
Is that is that hard for you to do? So what I've learned is in and I've been a boss essentially since 1993. And I don't mean a boss as an, you know, I mean a physical employer boss <laughs> since 1993. I used to I used to let it fester and fester and build up and build up. And I may wait till the end of the day, you know, Hey, they came to work, let them finish the day off this, that, and the other. What I've learned is you got to cut that out. I mean, as soon as they hit the door, have your conversation, have your sidebar. As soon as the problem goes on, if it's a recurring issue, you got to nip it in the bud because, you know, I am a easygoing guy. I bet you can ask any one of my employees, ask Colby. He's worked for me for probably 10 years he could probably count on one hand how many times he's heard me raise my voice. I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. I'm not a do as I say, not as I do. I will not ask you to do something I can't or won't do myself. But yeah, the hard fires, you know, there are some times and you people, I'm a people person. You know, I'm thinking about that guy's wife, his kids, what happened. But at the end of the day, I didn't put him in the bad situation. He put himself there or she put herself there. It's just the way it is. I mean, and I've had to fire females and males and it's just, it's never easy. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you dug your own grave. Yeah. So I haven't had to do that yet. I, I uh, hope I never have because while, while, while I can separate emotion, a lot of stuff and a lot of things don't bother me. I'm like you, I'm a people person. And I guess there's a part of me that, it's weird. Like I would rather a stranger not be upset with me than, you know what I mean? Like I just, I just don't like people to be upset with me if I think it's something that I can control right now as a police officer, a canine guy, I didn't give two shits if they were upset that, that I'm, I don't get a twist to what I'm saying, but when it's somebody I know, I hate to feel like I'm putting that person in a hardship. I hate it. Like with a passion. And I'm like you, where I think about, their kids, their wife, their family, their finances, their house. But then it's just like you said, at some point, you got to remember, you didn't create the situation. They did. And like I tell every everybody that um, uh, that's on the team now, and I've, I've heard you kind of say something similar, the brand is more important. It's more important than me. It's more important than you. It's more important than him. The brand itself is more important. You know, if this is not Aaron Taylor's dog training. I said to a lot of people, it's Rich Side Canine. And if Aaron Taylor died tomorrow, Rich Side Canine could still run. You know what I mean? So the brand is very, very important. The brand integrity is very, very important. Um, but yeah, I have not had to go down that road. I hope to God I never will have to go down that road. Um, but my guess is with your business, you know, you you definitely dealt with it. How often do you find that um do you find that some people use like a basic mechanic shop, the not the basic mechanic shop, but the base position like you laid out as a stepping stone? Or do you find that people come in and want to stay within a company for a long time and kind of go off and do their own franchise? Like, how does that work? So <clears throat> that's a great question. Um, there are some people that are looking for a paycheck and a paycheck only, and they'll do what it takes to get week in and week out income. There are other people that come to me and I talk to them in an interview and I've actually made a part of my interview now. I'll ask them, where do you see yourself in five years? Before it wasn't part of it. I want to know what this person's thinking and I don't want a job jumper. But having said that, if somebody says, I want to be where you are in five years, then I know I got five years to mold that person and use them to my benefit 
as as long as I can. And I don't mean using them in a in a derogatory way. I mean I've got five years to help them because they're going to do it with or without me. So this is my opportunity to let them learn from my mistakes and grow. And and I've had two or three people just in the last uh, four or five years leave my facility and open their own facilities. And it's just like you and I. They know they got to get up every morning and go to work because somebody's got to pay the power bill. Somebody's got to pay the telephone bill. And they success, I don't really measure by dollars. Success is they've been running their own shop. They're not, they haven't filed bankruptcy. They still have nice vehicles. They're happy. They're living and breathing. And you see them on Facebook. You communicate with them. They're not, they're not, re, they're not remorseful or regretful for the decision they made. So, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of people that use the platform to work for us as a stepping stone. And then there's others that just come into your life that are just there for a paycheck. And I think it's important to have both, right? I think that's, sure. a, that's an important aspect of it. Um, I know I'm looking to hire, you know, specifically for me, like two or three more trainers, not location owners, but just trainers to work for me directly. And um, I'm at that weird spot, man, where if I'm being honest, I don't want people that are just going to come in and leave again, right? And I also don't want people that just want to come and learn and then go off and be their own boss. But I do know that's a possibility, obviously. Um, with us, I get a little nervous. I won't, like if somebody doesn't have ambition and crazy work ethic and work drive, I won't even give them a shot at you know any of these locations because um, in our business, unlike yours, I can't really have somebody that's just looking for a paycheck, right? Now on the flip side of that, I would love to hire somebody here that will just simply like do whatever the hell I tell them. Cut the grass, string trim the fence lines, shovel dog shit, clean the kitchen coop or clean the chicken coop. All the little stuff here that like I'm just like, there's not enough time in a day. That's where I could definitely use somebody that's like, I really don't care. I just want a paycheck um, for sure. But, so uh, so the, the job jumpers, you have to give them a reason to stay with you. I mean, here's the thing. You know, you look at some of your trainers and if you see these people have have potential to to be bigger than you, bigger than Ridgeside. Unfortunately, you've got to, you said you're a people person. You got to let them spread their wings and do what they want to do. Yeah. You, you know, get as much as you can out of them while they're there. You may learn something from them. Their goal is to learn something from you and you can't hold them back if they're looking to succeed, you know, because they want to be where you are and they may be there for six months or a year and say, damn, I don't want to be there. I want to go back to Aaron or I want to do this out of the other. But you know, the, that's just a roll of the dice. And to hit on your earlier point, I'm glad you haven't had to terminate somebody, but I'm here to tell you it's going to come. And if you, I think you're kind of like me, you're kind of going to sweep some of these little inconsistencies under the carpet and you're going to, uh, well, you know, this, there's so much better here. I can overlook that. Once you lay the groundwork for that and you're not treating everybody 100% equal, you have just opened a can of worms that you are never going to find a lid for. So I tell you that you got to nip stuff like that in the bud. It's got to be one-on-one, pull them aside and say, this is the deal. Here's the, here's the opportunity I presented you. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to shovel shit on me, then you're out the door, but you need to toe the line. That's hard. Yeah. You're, you're spot on. I think it's um, it's easier said than done. Um, 
And one of my biggest fallacies definitely in leadership is that I, I, I tend to give like second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And it's like you said, you know, where, where is the, the line there? But with that being said, I'm very fortunate and lucky right now that I have an amazing team, right? Like I haven't had real issues yet. We've, we've had some small little stuff here and there that, that we've had to work out very quickly. Um, but I haven't had the problem. Now, will it come? Yeah, I'm sure it's going to happen. I mean, there's, it's unavoidable. Um, kind of like mechanics, dog trainers can be interesting characters, right? So it takes a special person that wants to literally be covered in dirt and grease and gasoline and oil all day. It takes a special person that literally wants to be covered in dog fur, move dog shit, clean out kennels full of puke and train dogs all day. So in these two professions, we're not dealing with a normal people, nor am I normal, nor are you normal, right? Because we're kind of in the mix right there with them. Let, let me ask you, what, uh, what, what would you say to a young mechanic coming up? So like if I'm in high school right now and I'm going through auto shop, I took auto, auto shop in high school too at South Lakes High School. Um, Sorry to hear my, that. My first big uh, ticket that I got in Fairfax County, I had a 1985 Trans Am gold, uh, gold car with honeycomb uh, wheels on it. And we cut the pipes off the car in, in the shop. So it was straight. <laughs> headers come back to the collector, and that was it. No catalytic converter, no pipe, no muffler. Cut it off. That thing sounded like a NASCAR, okay? It was that old uh, Pontiac 302. I think the old Pontiac 301, whatever the hell it was. But, um, you know, I think it probably had like 170 horsepower. I don't even know, man. Like, you know, when you're a kid, you think you have a fast car. Sure. Because, you know, it'll, it'll smoke the tires. But in reality, it's, it's not that fast. But that something was loud as hell. I mean, it would like give you a headache. So I ultimately went out and bought little uh, plugs for my ears. So to and from school, I'd have to put earplugs in. It was that loud. <laughs> First day coming home, man, uh, Fairfax County pulled me over and gave me a ticket. Um, some, some equipment violation. I don't even know what the hell it was. But uh, I, I never got it fixed. I drove the car like that until the day I went into the Marine Corps and uh, wow. sold it, sold it, sold it. I, I bought the car for $1,500 from for a lady in Sterling. This would have been 1996 I bought the car. And I sold it for like 750 bucks um, in 1998 when I left the Marine Corps. And uh, that was a fun car, man. But we violated, I mean, goddamn. We, we had the idea one day in class to lighten the car. We, we were trying to make like these little homemade fast cars. You know what I mean? Some of the guys had Honda Civics. Uh, somebody else had a Camaro. I had the, the Pontiac. And uh, we took the seat belts out of the car because we thought it would be lighter. So like we literally, car had no seat belts, no rear seat. It was like a strip down. And it was a death trap, man. Like I would have been killed. But true story, if I hadn't went into the Marine Corps and went that route, like I probably would have went into mechanics at, at, to, to, to some level. I'm no backyard mechanic. I can't do anything at this point. I can even like on, on the, the truck I have now with that e-torque mild hybrid system on the Hemi, I don't know how to change the oil in the vehicle. I have no clue. Um, my van that you just worked on is probably the easiest vehicle I have to work on. I think it's pretty straightforward, pretty direct. Um, but my question is, for a young kid right now, 18 to 20, or maybe right out of the service or right out of high school, and they want to get into mechanics, how much money can they can they possibly make 
coming into the door. Now, I'm not saying use Midas as an example, but if you just said an average of Midas, Goodyear, Virginia Tire, a car dealership, whatever, entry-level mechanic, entry-level sort of certifications, where do they start on average for work salary-wise? You know, a kid right out of high school, I mean, my first year right out of high school, I mean, as soon as I graduated, went to Beach Week, came back, my first year I made like $32,000, and that was in 1988. That's pretty good, homie. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was good back then. But I think any any kid now, and I use the term loosely kid, but I think there's kids coming out of high school that can go to vocational school as opposed to college. Uh, they could go to a six-month Votech or vocational center, and they can walk in the door at a lot of places and make 50 grand pretty easy. Um, nice. And that's, that's, that's with little to no training, somebody that's got confidence and skill and wants to work. Um, I mean, I've seen them make all kinds of money. I mean, there's, there's a lot of prima donnas in our industry that, that think they're going to walk in the door. I mean, I'll interview some people and they'll come in the door and say, I got to make a hundred, hundred grand or I'm not walking in the door. And so the first thing I say to them is I say, well, you know, thank you very much for your time. It was nice to, you know, it was nice for you to come by. I, I, I can't control what these people make, but you know, if you work hard, but the, there, there is a lot of money to be made in our industry because like I said, so many people have left the industry that don't do it, that there's a shortage of auto technicians and it's only going to get worse. I mean, you, you introduce more hybrid vehicles and more diesel vehicles. I think back 20 years ago, we had one guy that would work on diesels. Nobody would work on anything electrical stuff. And we rebuilt alternators. We physically took the stuff apart and rebuilt them. Now everything's disposable, but you know, there's some pros and cons there, you know, any young individual, and they don't have to be young per se, but I'll use your you know, example. But, you know, 18 to 23 or 24, you can make a lot of money in this industry if you just work hard. Now, it is an expensive industry to get into. Tools, toolbox, this, that, and the other. Got to have a valid driver's license. But there, there is a lot of money in our industry to be made. And that's just because it's such a, a diminishing work pool. Yeah, so you hit on two big things there. You said there's money to be made, but... You have to work hard. Um, and that, that's kind of one of those things like where I talk about dog trainers or, or mechanics. I'm a big person that believes in tradecraft. So I'm a big person that says not enough people are getting into plumbing, electrician, carpentry, all these skill sets that for whatever reason in our society now have been kind of pushed to the wayside and people almost look down on them to a degree, but they all pay really well if you do it right especially if it's your own business and you've got clients and you can be your own boss um i mean calling a plumber or an electrician out at one o'clock in the morning like you're going to give them a pretty good paycheck that day right sure so sure it's, it's one of those things where i really wish more people so you know i did go back to college but i went to college when i was 33 and graduated when i was 37 so and that was really only because the Marine Corps paid for the whole thing and they paid me to go back to school while I was a cop. So it was almost stupid not to. Right. But. I really wish more parents and kids would look at, like you said, the whole push to go to college for what? You know what I mean? If it's not your thing, for what? Sure. Um, why not go vocational school? Or there, there's just so many other options out there where you can make a lot of money of great career. 
But you got to work hard. You're going to get dirty. You're going to get sweaty. You're going to go home with dirty ass clothes. You're going to need a shower the second you walk through the door. But, you know, making $100,000 is, is relatively simple once you're established in those businesses. That makes any sense. Sure. And here's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to probably get a lot of cross-eyed looks at this, but a lot of people in our society nowadays are entitled. And sure. entitlement, entitlement is horrible. There are people out there that will do jobs that a lot of people won't, you know, because of they're afraid of their peers. You know, there's just, it just drives me up a wall. You know, there's, you may not have the ideal job, but at the end of the day, what is your end goal? To have money, to have family, to be happy, to find some place to go, you know, 40 hours a week. But entitlement is is awful. But so many people now don't want to do physical or manual labor because they can go sit in an office where there's air conditioning, suck up on some benefits, do this out of the other. But, you know, skilled trades and, and I when I say skilled trades, career firefighters, career paramedics. Uh, career law enforcement, you know, those are skilled trades because not everybody can just pick it up and do it. You know, there's there's extensive amount of training that goes on. And just like in our industry, you know, you can't just pick up a wrench and work on somebody's car. There is there is constant continuing education to do state inspections, emissions, all those certifications. I still have to renew every three years. And the problem with it is, is yeah, like you said, you're going to get hot, sweaty, and dirty, and it's not a glamorous job. But at the end of the day, I'll take my big lifted truck any day of the week over some of these little other vehicles that people drive around because it's what I want and I can afford to pay for it because I chose to do something a lot of people don't want to do. So I think some 100%. people just have their priorities mixed up. Yeah, man, that's a that's a big one, man. Uh, you're just you're, you're 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 spot on. Tell me some stuff that maybe I didn't ask you. Tell me some some small business nuggets. Uh, it doesn't have to have anything to do with the automotive industry or running a shop. Just tell me some small business stuff that you've learned throughout the years. So you got to have a really good CPA or a dependable CPA. You know, okay. you're like I said, it goes back to my pyramid. You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So. CPA is good. Uh, knock on wood. It's, it's good to, to have an attorney that you can bend their ear and ask questions about, whether it's a friend or somebody that you're paying. But you, you got to have people that you can ask questions outside the box, you know? you know, people that used to do it or friends, parents that used to do this out of the other. So uh, fortunately, there's an ex-CPA in the family. One of my super good friends, uh, his dad's a retired attorney that has his own firm. So having, I think having business connections of people that you can trust are things that a lot of people, uh, they're invaluable to me. You know, I, I just got to have somebody that I, even if I just want to come down and talk to, you know, and it, it's crazy when I'm talking to you about, you know, how you grew, grew up with, you know, how you grew to expand so rapidly. It's just getting that that perception. So I think, you know, communication and just just, you know, not alienating people in general is is something that too many people overlook. You know, I don't have the right answer all the time. And if I didn't learn something from it, then it was useless. So Yeah, one hundred percent. Um how is it with 
Uh, let me ask you a question here. I'll start at domestic. Andy touched on it last time. How, how is it actually working with your wife? So we had this conversation after you were done the other night. Oh, and shit. All too often that when it's your spouse, you know your spouse's hot buttons and you know your spouse's, you know, calming buttons. And it's, it's always a perfect storm. You know, if she's having a bad day and she's right in the middle of something and she'll call me and I'm having a bad day, but she can't see what's going on with me and I can't see what's going on with her. Your, your first reaction is it's, it would be real easy for a huge shit storm to get started just by the tone of someone's voice. You know, yeah, yeah. I know, I know you and C I've seen you and C, you know, bicker when we're up there, but it's just, it's perception and it's, you just get this comfort level with your spouse. So I know for a fact that this is not something that she ever wanted to do, but she's done it because it has supported and helped support our family. And at any given time, I could have given her a nickel and she'd have walked away hands down and just dropped the ball. But, you know, she, she's a team player and she does it. And, you know, that's one of the reasons our business can be successful is because you got somebody good looking out for your books. You got to have somebody looking after, you know, the back door, basically, you know. So at times it's a struggle in, in, because, because we're both so frustrated or, or burned out. You know, I think back at, you know, something you called us once before when we first started boarding with you. You said we were like a pack of traveling gypsies because we were always on the road. Well, we, we, I, we I would really, never I would never talk to a client <laughs> like that. Anybody listening to this. We were at clients and we were friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, That's a little different. But but it's one of those things where you gotta have the time to get away or you gotta just come home and decompress. And and it it is very tough to to work together and try to, to iron these things out. But at the same time, I think a lot of good comes out of it because she's so creative and she thinks about things being away from the facility that I wouldn't have ever thought about. And, and so I think it, I think it kind of, it works. I know it's not her end goal. I know there's a lot of stuff that she enjoys doing, you know, photography and the bark pop. There's a lot of things that she'd much rather be doing, but she kind of does it now because it's, it's a, it's a need. And it's, there's also a huge trust factor in there as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you treat her pretty well as a good employee. So, I mean, as long as you keep the benefits for all, she should be pretty happy. <laughs> Definitely not an employee. And you know, she's going to be all over you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is true, man. I literally asked, uh, I texted her before she came on because I, I wasn't, I, I just didn't know what to say. I said, Hey, I, I don't want to call you the wrong title. I don't know. Like, like how James has you employed there or how you work for it. I said something like that. And I was being genuine, actually. I wasn't being like sarcastic like I normally am. She responds back like vice president. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, my bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just playing around. Um, so so that's, that, that, that's awesome, man. You really, um, you guys have made it, you know. So I, I read a lot. Um, well, I don't read, but I listen to audio books every day. I probably read one or two books a week right now because I'm in the car so much. So I read a lot of small business books and um, I read a lot of the the kind of the, the failing aspect. I, I like to always dwell, delve into like what makes businesses fail. So a lot of guys that, that their business is buying, failing business and building them back up. I study a lot of what they do 
And I try to always apply that to rich side. You know what I mean? Like, am, am I on the verge of falling apart? Um, and taking away some of the advice you just gave to everybody, when it comes to animals, you're, you're only as good as the last dog you trained, right? So, like, you could have trained over 5,000 dogs, but the one dog where you have a major accident or a problem with it, it's a serious issue. You know what I mean? Um, my guess is in the automotive industry, you can recover a lot quicker. But if you had some employee who, like, stole somebody's stuff and it was caught, people might look at your one bias like, oh, well, that's the place where the thief works. Yeah, well, you fired the thief six months ago the second you found out about it. And you paid the person to make it right that had their stuff stolen and you gave them free service for life. But that one review out there in the, the, the wilds of the Internet may follow that store for a long time. So we're only as good as the last dog we trained. And I think to some aspect, and it sounds like you kind of run your business this way, you're only as good as the client in front of you right now. So like, don't don't hang on how good it was. We have to continue to take care of our clients like our business depends on it. Um, I say all the all the time, you know, without our clients, rich side stops. It's it's just over. You know what I mean? Without clients coming in, we we no longer exist. Um, so I appreciate all those little nuggets that you dropped on there. One of the other things you had talked about that that I really took away too was that con continuing education. Uh, Angie wrote something up here in one of these comments. It's way up. I think she said you guys pay for your employees to get continuing education. Yeah, so any technician that comes in the door that wants to better themselves get state in emissions inspection license, it's a uh, it's actually a credit course at Nova and we pay for the course and we pay for them to get certified. Um, some of the continuing education thing, uh, there's um, some some tests out there called ASE, stands for Automotive Service Excellence. Um, it's it's more of a what you know kind of thing. They're, you know, 50, 80, 100 multiple choice questions and it we incentivize employees to take that because it's a certificate and when customers walk in the shop you know or, or the waiting room they're looking to see who's got what certifications who's a state inspector you know who's an emissions inspector so it's kind of something to hang their hat on you know it's an achievement you know it, it's it's what they've what they've worked hard for and earned and we pay for any of the continuing education our employees want to take and we offer that up, you know. So now having said that, if an employee, you know, stumbles and, and doesn't, you know, doesn't meet the grade and they don't pass, then the next time I'll sign them up again and I'll just say, look, you know, if we have another stumble this time, you weren't committed or you didn't know the material, I'm going to have you pay for it. But there is a lot of money that goes, you know, in and out on continuing education from just simple, you know, doing air conditioning jobs. But there's so much in our industry that, that people have no idea about, you know, it's, it's, it's very unfortunate that, that the public is not more educated on what goes into it. Um, because there's a lot going on, you know, and it's the same thing in your industry. You know, I had no idea, you know, what canine handlers go through and see. And the, the first time I was ever around blitz, I was, I was just, in awe by just the verbal commands, the body language, and how intelligent that dog is. And then I start thinking, well, the dog had to get that way somehow. Well, he got that way from you. You know, you did that. So you've, you've created this mold. And, you know, that's kind of what goes on in our shop. We try to create the mold. The, the people come to us with a limited amount of tools in their toolbox, and then we try to fill that toolbox up. So, you know, there's, there's only so much that you can do if someone doesn't want to 
to use what's there, but we try to make everything available to them. That's awesome. The last thing I want you to touch on really quick, if you can, and then I'll let you go. I know you got to wake up early. I did, I did too. Um, culture within the shop. So tell me about the culture as far as like, what do you do as the boss man to, to deal with? So I don't, I don't know really anybody outside of Colby. I don't even know him. I just know his name and I know him by face. Right. But the, the, the handful of times I've been in your shop, just looking around, you you have what I would call the stereotypical mechanics. You know, you have some big guys that work there, some little guys that work there, a lot of tattoos. Um, looks like you got a lot of characters. How do you, what do you do to set the culture in your shop as far as they know integrity, number one, period? Like, I will fire you if I catch you lying about something, right? That's a big thing for me. Um, customer service. Be on time. What do you do day in and day out to maintain that culture? So I think I'm just consistent. You know, we don't allow smoking in the shop. And it's actually been good for a number of technicians that have come in and out of our facility because you can't smoke in the building. We've got oxygen and acetylene tanks there. The fire marshal will find them. So we tell them, if you want to smoke, step outside the back door. I don't want you smoking in front of the customer. I think it it, it doesn't portray... You know, I don't want them to be the atypical mechanic where their shirt's untucked, they're greasy, they're gnarly looking. So I think it's just being consistent with them. Come in every day. I want them to be in a clean uniform. If they get, you know, scruffy during the day, you know, go upstairs and put on another uniform. Let's just, let's keep that image looking good. Yeah, you you worked hard and you're wearing a badge to show it, but, you know, let's just, let's just maintain a level of courtesy and respect and cleanliness. You know, they're washing their hands none of my technicians will ever get in a customer's vehicle with dirty hands. Always walk. And it's, and you know how easy it is. Your truck was white. You know, you, you know how easy it is. Everything you touch now is dirty. You know, we live off a gravel road. You and I can't get in any one of our vehicles and not get dirty. You know, you, you can't take your wife anywhere and, and she's getting dirty clothes. But, but anyway, cleanliness, consistency, honesty, and integrity, and, you know, just be respectful. If a customer comes in the door, just treat them all the same way. Hey, how you doing? Approach them. You know, we are all human and, and we just need to treat one another like that. You know, it's not a perfect world. And something that you said long ago to me, we were talking one day about, you know, you don't know what that guy in that vehicle coming at you is thinking, what kind of day he's had. So I just tell my guys the same thing. You know, you don't know what that person coming in the door is going through right now. So, be human. Just be kind and courteous. So, nice. I like that a lot. Um, so what I took away from that, the one word stuck out was consistency. Um, I think that's huge. Uh, I'm sure I've yelled at you before in dog training, you know, be more consistent. Uh, consistency allows for productive dog training. Um, not being consistent provides non-clarity, and then you have problems that happen. You know what I mean? So if, if we're going to hold the dog accountable, we must have consistency prior in order to be fair and disciplined. And I think it's very easy to do that with dogs. It's harder sometimes with people. You know what I mean? But that's that's what it's all about. And then the last question um, outside of the culture, what do you do to mitigate issues? So, like, if you have two guys, for example, that don't – I mean, we you're dealing with people, right? So sometimes you're going to have issues. How do you how do you handle mitigation of problems at work? So like, if it's not a fireable fence, but maybe somebody is constantly sarcastic or 
digs at everybody else or makes people like, what do you do to handle that? So first and foremost, all of all my employees know they're going to have bad days. And if they need to um, have an issue with another employee, I've told them all, walk to the end of the shop, go out the back door, go behind the building, do what you have to do. But when you come back in, remember you're representing this company. So I don't want any customers to see what's going on. I don't get involved with their personal issues with one another if it's not shop related. So if they're having, you know, somebody calling somebody a name or, or aggravating them, there's, we try to keep it lighthearted. We're laughing and cutting up. And I mean, you've been in there. We're laughing and cutting up at people. And it's just, you know, that's what makes the day go by. But I only step in when I need to. When I see it or hear it getting out of hand, I'll walk out there. Never will I call out an individual in front of another individual. Hey, let's take a walk. Let's go up front. It's between me and that person. It's nobody else's business. Yeah, they, that everybody in the shop knows what's going on, but I respect them enough to say, hey, come on in here. Let's, let's step back and look at this. Let's, let's take another approach to this situation. Again, I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. I've sent people home. I've said, go, to, go get in your vehicle and go to McDonald's and get a tea. Go to 7-Eleven and get a soda. Get out of here for a little while. But when you get back here, remember, this is my business. I will not be held hostage by you. I can run this business with or without you. You can be on board or you can be off board. It's just cut and dry. Now, I don't rule that way, but those that's the guidelines that I expect them to live by, and I will tell them that. I'm not going to throw in their face, I can do this every day with or without you, but they all know that I can. And so the fear of screwing up or ticking me off or stepping outside the box, I think just comes down to their, their personal character. That's huge. You just, you just touched on a lot of stuff. Um, you, 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 I'm just curious, and, I, and I'm sure they do, but has Midas ever reached out to you to help write any like employee policy stuff or handbooks at all? You know, there's no, we, we don't have anything like that. Uh, we, we've had a very successful franchisee who was on the um, leadership team. Um, he flew in several years ago. Uh, he was looking at a number of things with us, sales. He'd known me because we'd been to some seminars and we talked a lot. And we go to these seminars where the, the franchisees, there may be 40 or 50 franchisees. But he came out and they conducted a three or four hour interview. And pretty much he, he was writing something similar to what you're asking about on a personal level and using it as a tool. And so he just wanted to know, you know, what made me tick and how we do things and, and getting a fresh perspective. Because I'll tell you, a lot of people out there are do as I say, not as I do. And you, you cannot be in business and be successful like that, but for a very limited time. Yeah. Man, you're saying this That's is good what? stuff and you're sitting there falling asleep, man. Where's your coffee? Man, I got something better than coffee uh, <laughs> right now. So... I think that's one of the things that I struggle with a lot right now is that I, I, I try to run a business behind the scenes and deal with a lot of emails and a lot of stuff and growth and potential and all this stuff. But I'm still a dog trainer, right? So I'm still like pumping, you know what I mean? All day with these dogs. The kennel's always full. And I think that at some point that that prowls 
that probably gives me better clout with the people on my team because they know that like I know what they're going through because I deal with it, you know, all day, every day. Um, but it's also one of those things where because I deal with it, I also lack in other areas because I don't have time. You know what I mean? Like I should be doing, uh, uh, and we're not making policy. We're making more like a go by book. You know what I mean? Like, like, Hey, I'm having an issue with this. Okay, cool. Go read page five real quick. And there'll be like 10 ideas. And if one of those ideas doesn't work, then we can troubleshoot. You know what I mean? Like basically sure. fully go by thing. Sure. And, and on there, we might, we might touch on some branding stuff, you know, not a uniform policy by any means, but like, Hey, when you're with a customer trying to wear a rich side shirt, just the little stuff like that. Um, but it takes me forever because I'm still cleaning kennels and dealing. You know what I mean? Like it's one sure. of these things where, where right now it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, but James, listen, I, um, Man, I really appreciate your time. I was trying to get you on here from last week. Our schedules, just two busy guys, weren't weren't jiving and weren't linking up. I respect the hell out of you guys, man. You, you guys are awesome people. I, I really appreciate your time and, and coming on here and talking with us. Um, you're an example of me, to me, of like the true Americana story, man. Like, you literally started in the shop running parts my guess is sweeping and cleaning and, and doing all the shit work that nobody else wants to do um and and now you own a location and you you have double digit employees and i don't know what your inventory numbers are my guess is it's probably in the millions of dollars i don't know how much business you guys do there i guarantee that's in the millions and millions of dollars but you're managing is like here you are some simple kid growing up and now you're managing a business that has a lot going on. And um, just that thought scares the hell out of me. But you do it day in and day out. And you do it successful and you set the test of time. As a small business, you defied all odds. Um, you know, 99% fail, right? And then the 1%, 90% fail again three years later. So it's like you are defying all the odds and, and, and you're rolling with a successful franchise with employees. And it's got to give you some kind of honor that, you are paying people's mortgages. Like you're paying people's child support. Like your building, it's not just about you and your family. Like you are supporting a lot of people. And to me, that gives me honor that I support these guys that work for me, but it also scares the hell out of me. I, 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 it keeps me up sometimes. Like I think about it all the time. Like what if dogs stop coming and this person can't pay for their house or their car or their kid? Like it, it worries the hell out of me. Um, but it's also giving me a lot, of, a lot of pride. And my guess is it's probably the same with you. Is that correct? Yeah. When we first signed the papers, I had no idea what, what was going to come next. You know, you know, mortgage in your home, this, that, and the other. And I thought, you know, if we fail tomorrow, what happens? Well, failure wasn't an option. You, you're you're going to learn from your mistakes day in and day out. And, you know, I look at where you are now versus when I was talking to you and you said, man, I'm just a simple cop. I work as much overtime as I can. I'll pull this gig. I do that gig. I this, that, and the other. And I remember you telling me the hours you were working. And I'm like, when do you see your wife? And you're like, well, sometimes we pass on the road in the morning. Sometimes we do this, that, and the other. You know, there's a lifestyle that people want. And there's a lifestyle that people deserve. And then there's a lifestyle that people um, are just kind of given. And, you know, anything that you're given, I think people take success for granted. You got to go out there and make it what it is. And, you know, you can only grow by being a part of it. You know, most, most big businesses, 
you know, don't grow from from the outside. They grow from the inside. And there may be five good seeds in a hundred, and those five good seeds are probably doing 90% of the work. So you affording these other out-of-state dog trainers the opportunity. I mean, our dog here, right here where we are, and our dog, you're so busy, you couldn't train her. She went to another trainer. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, he's giving up money on the table. However, what you you did, what you did was you gave a coworker slash employee another opportunity and you, that right there should give that individual, you know, he should be all giddy and goosebumpy that you're trusting one of your friends, one of your original clients with his dog. So that goes back to, you know, you've, you're giving opportunity. You're paying these people's mortgages. They're bettering themselves. Look at their, look at their facilities. I mean, anybody that's on Facebook can see these facilities with new fencing, new kennels, this, that, and the other. It, it's, you're giving them the tools to better themselves. So they're either going to be successful and follow your lead or they're going to realize they can't ride your coattail. So it's, it's all in what you put in it is what you're going to get out of it. And, and I, like I said, I can do everything in that shop that I need to do day in and day out. And people that, that want to be successful have to know no business successful, successful without hard work. That's crazy. Yeah, James, I really appreciate it, man. You're uh, been a little bit therapeutic. I mean, I don't, I don't talk about everything on here, nor do you, but there, there's, you know, li- listening to you hit on some stuff. I mean, you've been doing it for so long now. It's, it's, it's therapeutic for me, if that makes any sense. But um, thank you for your time. Uh, we had at one point quite a few people on here watching. It's kind of floated up and floated down, but we'll get a lot of views on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So, again, Badges to Business Guys, this Facebook channel is simply there to support and give us the audio um, content for our podcast. So, James Marsh with the Midas and Leesburg, anybody in the Northern Virginia area, guys, if you watch us for Ridgeside and you're in the dogs, James has a Dutch Shepherd, a Malinois, a Chihuahua. He used to have Rottweilers. James is a dog guy. Um, they have a phenomenal HGTV level cabin. I love it. And their cabin is dominated by dogs running all over the damn place. And um, you support dogs, go support James. Go out there, see him, let him work in your vehicle. Anybody that wants to have custom stuff done, they do it all. Lift kits, body, uh, not body work, but when it comes to like suspensions and lifts and custom motor stuff, they can do it all in-house, guys. They build trailers. They're going to hook up my van after a minute. Let me just browse through these comments really quick. Uh, Give me just one second, James. Uh, Christina Manweiler, who's a really good client of ours, said in Canada, where I'm originally from, universities, higher learning and college where people go to learn trades. Heck, even my school was a still vocational school. Even I took auto shop. It's sad we don't have much of that down here. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's like James said, it's the way of the future. Um, Brian Lacrone, kind of a cool story. He said he used to work in the medium heavy trucks and equipment at the shop in Chantilly right out of high school. And then he said that from there, he went to the hospital to work on uh, pressure boilers. Then they paid for all of his schooling and great benefits. So again, my guess is that's probably not an easy job at time working on uh, industrial pressure boilers, but it probably pays uh, pretty decent, pretty, pretty, pretty well. And just had a lot of stuff on here. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, Jason. I appreciate your comment, man. That's it. Do you have any save rounds? Anything I should ask you that I missed out on? 
I'm good. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and chat with you a little bit. Thank yeah, you I for like uh, letting us letting us get our platform out there. And uh, yeah, anybody hey, your wants. Where's your next road trip going to? I know, I know you're dropping the dogs off on Friday. Where's your road trip going to? I'm going to Kings Dominion. A little short, little short weekend trip. Hey, my daughter wanted to do something for spring break, so. No trip across the country in the RV? Nothing Nothing this weekend. No, this, this summer we're going to be real limited this summer. Uh, my son's doing some extracurricular stuff, and so we've got to keep it close to home this year. And then he'll That's be cool. off to college in August, so. We might take something in the fall. Have you guys ever thought about getting a drive alone RV or are you, are you like to pull behind? Um, I like my truck and the fifth wheel. I really like that. I mean, I'm not opposed to getting something different. Um, but, you know, I, I like the flexibility of being able to unhook once we're there and roll around, do whatever. You know, if we if we got a driver, then we just have to have something small to pull behind us. And I'm not pulling a Suburban or a lifted Jeep or lifted truck behind it. So then we got to go buy another vehicle. So, Yeah, hey, JJ just came on here. JJ, what's up, buddy? Uh, I saw your podcast or your uh, live today. You brought up some pretty good stuff. JJ, I'd go back and listen to this, man. This is uh, James, a very successful small business owner, touched on a lot of stuff that I think can be implemented into a lot of dog businesses. But uh, all right, brother, I'll see you on Friday. We drop your dogs off Thursday, Friday, whatever it is. Um, We'll catch up. That's it. Yeah, and good luck up there. Out. Good luck up there this week. Kill it with your seminars. Yeah, I'll be back. It's, it's going to be a long day. I'm driving up and driving back in one day. I'm going up, oh. teaching, and driving home. So Nice. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Thank, thank you for your time, sir. All right, thanks.